Thank you for tuning into the You Own the Experience podcast. In this week's episode, we sit down with Allison Daly, CEO and co-founder of Recruiting Innovation, which helps IT recruiters learn how to have great conversations with IT professionals and developers so that they can present the best candidates for an open position. This conversation goes in depth also on unconscious bias and how using AI in the recruiting process can enable that. Overall, it is a great conversation for anyone who is looking to understand how to up-level your recruiters, especially in the IT world. This episode is brought to you by Great Recruiters, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. We got Miss Allison Daly from Recruiting Innovation. How are you doing, Allison? I am doing well, all things considered. How are you? I'm doing really well. Really excited to speak with you. If you guys don't know what Recruiting Innovation is, it is a IT training platform for recruiters. And I am a former teacher slash huge nerd, so and a firm believer in, in training. So really excited to have Allison on. While I steal Allison's thunder, Allison, why don't you give us a quick two-minute elevator pitch of yourself and Recruiting Innovation before I do it all for you, because I'm so excited. But go ahead. Sure thing. Absolutely. My name is Allison Daly, and I'm the founder and CEO of Recruiting Innovation, where I am on a mission to elevate the tech recruiting space from being seen as a kind of a necessary evil to being valued as a true talent partner. After 15 years in recruiting, I needed a change, moved into UX research, and then quickly realized that the systems that exist in, in user experience research and product design to get to know the end users and tell their stories, if we could apply that same methodology to the tech recruiting space, it would provide the much needed sort of communication bridge between us non-technical recruiters and our technical candidates and hiring managers. And I just kind of followed the breadcrumbs, knowing firsthand how hard it is to to engage with technical people as a non-technical person. And one thing led to another. And now I have a company that's focused on leveling up recruiters' technical abilities. And we have the Tech Recruiter Certification Program all online for recruiters, by recruiters, but with technical leads as our instructors. And yeah, we're having a great time. People are enjoying the program and we're really making a big difference in people's confidence, their ability to engage with technical candidates, put in a good face and be credible with technical hiring managers. And most importantly, for the recruiters, just leveling up their confidence and their ability to really deliver on their open recs in the technology space. That's awesome. And if you guys can figure out from that two-minute elevator pitch why that's so vital to the people experience, for you investing in your people so that they can create an incredible experience for those IT candidates that they're talking to, you might have missed the whole two minutes she was talking. But, Allison, I'm going to share a story with you that validates your point. Please. So, I was a jock in high school, right? I've read, I didn't just go to the beach and work out. Like I did all that, but I also read books and got straight A's. So that's not about me, but I'm not that technical. So I go to New Jersey Institute of Technology for my first year of undergrad, and I'm living with a computer science major. My computer science major roommate was that person. So he's incredibly smart and actually pretty social. His brothers were athletes, so but he just went and became very technical. So not only do we have to have our own internet, but we had... He had an extra computer on his desk. He had a Linux server running on it. He ran our own internet for our room and like the six people in our area. I would come home at night and have to play Doom. And every night, Doom was modified. So I had to like figure out what the mods were. I had to fix my character so I could play with these guys who were just kicking my butt all over the place. And I learned very quickly that you have to speak a different language and you have to have a certain level of understanding to get the respect. So 
I think that kind of validates what you just said in a very kind of immature way, but you know, we were freshmen in college, but I think it validates it, right? Like we were building our own computers and so I learned a lot of really cool things. Yeah, that's really, it really is a different language and it's, it's incredible from even just extrovert to introvert. That's already a big difference between recruiters and, and technical people. But then the thing that we kept running, I kept running into personally, and then we run into when we're working with, with clients and, and recruiters is how much recruiters see what developers do as some sort of like magical black box where things happen and at the end is live code. And as recruiters, it's very intimidating. You don't even know how to open the box. You don't know how to like pull out the contents. You sure as hell don't know how to engage with those people in a a meaningful way. And so it's like, there's a lot of energy in your sort of like cognitive load in the background, just humming, trying to be like, what did they just say? What was that acronym? And it's, it's very distracting. And it's really hard to like do what you're best at, which is engage with people in front of you when you genuinely are speaking a different language. I mean, nothing causes burnout more than like feeling like you're not in the right fit. And just the simple act of providing a language translation, here's what they do, here's why they do it, here's how to engage. It's the level of uh, sort of retention and delivery and time to fill everything across the board is just improved when you can speak the same language as the candidate in front of you. It's amazing. Absolutely. And I'll give you, I'm going to just tell lots of stories with you today. So great. Former history teacher. And I would sell the vocabulary lesson to my kids as like the most important part of the lesson for bare minimum understanding. So like, guys, if you want to pass this quiz or this test, I just need you to understand the vocabulary. So when you see that word, it is not a foreign language in this context. So I would have to like market and sell the vocab lesson as the most important thing. But I think it goes to what you were saying is like, if you look at the test or if you're trying to talk to this human being and you don't know what language they're speaking, it's going to feel really awful, right? Right. And then that's why you start seeing blogs dedicated to bad recruiter experiences and even our work with developers because we're develop, you know, working on the, pro- the program, what to include. It was talking to developers about what their experiences are with the pain points in the recruiting process and so many Technical candidates, especially the better they are, the more wary they are of working with recruiters. And they feel that they just have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, they want awesome jobs, but they feel like it's just not worth the time to spin their wheels with people that make very basic errors and really are a waste of time. And especially as recruiters, the top talent, these people are employed. They have stuff to do. You literally have 15 minutes to establish credibility, get them excited, pull them into your process. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere with it. And that's the key point is what do you need to know as a basic to just engage with them? And then the magic happens where now you're, you've got your recruiter hat on, you're building a relationship and you know, you're going places together rather than trying to shoot darts at a wall and then nothing sticking. All right. Awesome. So let's dive in there a little bit deeper, right? How do you see this improving when you deploy it to companies? Like what is, what are the stories around that? And really what are kind of the basics and, and any kind of thing you want to divulge, obviously, without selling your platform on a podcast and giving it away? Well, one thing that I think that really is a unique, like kind of the coin that clicked everything into into process for me and building the company was realizing as a UX researcher, a key tool that in my job at that point was a journey map. So most of your audience probably knows what a journey map is, but for the folks that don't, basically a journey map is sort of a big picture overview of the map of a journey. And in user experience, it's what is the map or the process that a user uses 
when trying to solve a problem using your tool. So when I was a researcher, I worked in an athletic company. And so I needed to get to know really the ups and downs that an athlete experiences when deciding to go for a competitive race, pick the race, train for it, have the race itself, and then the celebration experience. And so the journey map of that would be, you know, decide to take a race, do a race, research the races, pick the race, train for the race, do the race, and then celebrate the race. So that's six steps in the journey map for that athlete. And in getting to know them, they're doing and thinking three things across those six stages. Some are emotionally good, some are emotionally bad, and different athletes have different experiences. That's where the kind of the persona concept comes from, right? So our competitive athletes like really took a lot of time trying to figure out which race to pick, but they love training. Whereas the social athlete didn't care what race they picked because they cared more about having fun and interacting with other people. And so for me, the aha moment was this journey map. If we could take this as a a process applied to the developer's process, put on a research hat as a recruiter and recognize, hey, there's a specific process that all developers follow when developing software that if we knew that process, then it sort of creates that big picture in which we can then have conversations with the candidates. So just to go a little bit further, for anyone that's seen sort of this kind of a famous image of waterfall methodology compared to agile methodology, waterfall methodology notes that between idea and life code, there's five steps in that process. There's research, design, build, test, and deploy. And all of that's very linear what have you. In an agile, they take the same five steps, but then it's, it's a shorter, more like circuitous processes where the design, build, test is like almost at the same time. But anyway, we take that five-step process, research, design, build, test, and deploy, and then you apply it to the developer's process. And if I know that as a recruiter, all developers go through the same five process, whether a mobile developer, front-end, cloud, you name it. If I take this workflow approach to talking to the candidate, Then when I say, you know, walk me through a project you're most proud of, what was the goal and how'd you go about it? And they only talk about build because they're developers and are just going to nerd out on the build stage. Well, I know research and design happen before build. I can say, okay, well, walk me through your research phase. How did you know that Java was the right code to use? Now we're having a conversation. Now that candidate's like, oh, she gets it. Oh, okay. I can go a little bit deeper. And then I can follow up with how was deployment facilitated? What was the testing process like? And what that does in having that framework, and that's what we train recruiters around doing is using this journey map approach, is that it frees me up from feeling like a deer in headlights when a keyword is thrown out or an acronym or what have you. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll make a note of it. And then I can follow up with some more questions, walk me through the design, who are you collaborating with? I'm going to get this rich story from this candidate where maybe I know 50 to 70% of what they said, but because I have a framework and I'm you know, taking my notes... You better believe that my hiring manager will understand 100% of what that story is. And so by having this sort of journey map workflow approach, it becomes this communication bridge where I as a recruiter take a bunch of notes in a story form for my candidate with intelligent, credible follow-up questions, get a story that I can then translate to my hiring team. And then vice versa, we train recruiters to take this process with their hiring manager. So obviously, the most important step of a recruiter's process is getting to know what that open role is really all about and the type of candidate we're looking for. Everything else is hinged on how successful that conversation is. So if I know that there's a five steps and my hiring manager wants a front-end engineer, I can follow through, okay, how involved with research are they going to be? 
Who are they going to be interacting with when designing the solution? What is the build process like here? So on. Get a rich story out of that hiring manager. So then A, I'm sourcing the right candidate the first time, but B, even more importantly, I have a story to use to sell that candidate into why they need to be in my process and why they should be excited about this opportunity. And so for me, it was really like I leaving recruiting, going into UX, realizing there's a methodology that exists that is actually a twin to what recruiters do and applying it back to the recruiting process. And it's been really fun to see even my technical friends and uh, hiring managers I work with recognize the tools I'm using, both the journey map, the persona concept, contextual interviews. And it's sort of like you're inherently in now a tech insider just because you're using the same tools, but then for your own process within tech recruiting. And every time I, by the way, I did not come from tech recruiting, but I feel so much more confident now talking to my teams and understanding what they're going through. When they develop, I kind of got it, right? It's the scientific method. I can remember that. And we're applying it to tech, right? And it's, it's, very similar, but I do feel way more confident and kind of like have a clearer picture of what's going on. So thank you for that immediate, immediate kind of gratification of, or improvement of a process in my head. Well, it's like, it can be so simple. It doesn't yeah. have to be complicated. You know, it's just like, oh, it's a framework and I follow this framework and now I can talk to anybody. Rad. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like the vocab lesson, right? So, okay. Any success stories? Do you see companies or recruiters getting to market faster and, and closing more consistently? Like, what have you seen? You're kind of given some, some social proof on your end. Yes. You sharing. Oh. Well, what's really fun is that the way the certification goes, it's a six-course program, and at the end, there's a thesis where you have to take a current a role you're recruiting for and then walk it through all your steps and apply what you've learned you know, across outreach messages and, and all of those things. And at the end, you have sort of a 250-word review or reflection on the experience. And reading people's reflections is the most sort of energizing thing as a, as a business owner, as a trainer, and seeing what people call out in terms of, of what they've learned and what they're walking away with. We consistently hear about people feeling like they've got imposter syndrome, that they're wary of picking up the phone. They just, you know, you don't feel comfortable. And by having a foundational understanding, people are more excited to get on the phone. We've seen actually an improvement of four and a half days in terms of time to fill rates. We do a benchmark survey before, right after, and then three months later. We have managers talking about seeing their employees being more engaged. I have one gal that she is kind of like hesitant. She's a brand new recruiter. She'd been doing this for about six months, really wary of getting on the phone. After our program, she is now making the most calls on her team. And she's actually been promoted to recruiter from Sorcerer as like one of the first people on the team, the fastest flows of doing that. And it just goes to show the power of just like information and structure to inherently, you know, just even a confident level and recruiters are people, people, and you just need to give them the tools and then get out of the way. And we're seeing that tenfold across the board from people that take the training. It's been really, really empowering. I love that. I think, and I, you know, that kind of goes to show like that person was clearly an overachiever. She just wasn't comfortable, right? She, oh my gosh, she had yeah. the makings of it already. She wanted to be successful, right? She just didn't know. And, and, you know, she might have not performed like a sales role and then gotten let go, but never realized. Like, sometimes you don't know what you're missing in a role. And sometimes it's the vocabulary and the framework to understand how to do that. So, well, and that's the thing, too, is like if you are an engaged extrovert, not being able to engage with the person in front of you is painful. It is not okay. You can't bluff it. And, 
you just change that thing around and it's like magic. It's awesome. Yeah. Imagine being my extrovert itself and being quarantined for six weeks already. We're doing, we're recording this on April 20th, by the way. Yeah. I'm in week six. It's, it's not healthy. I'm in week six <laughs> too. Checking on your extroverts, people. I know. It's so, it's brutal. Okay. So a couple of things. Number one, I want to again, highlight, I come from a staffing firm. I come from my two staffing firms that I worked at for the most amount of time had designated training teams or people. And we were successful using our tools because we had that person. So in this case, also doesn't necessarily talk about using tools like, you know, an ETS or email marketing, whatever, employee stream, you know, just kind of throwing things out. But if you train people on how they work, they're more likely to use them. So I think this is a really great lesson about adoption, right? Because that recruiter, if we can go back to her, knew how to use the phone, but didn't want to engage in a phone call because she didn't understand the framework. So I just want to reiterate that specialty. So like when I went through training for healthcare staffing, Allison, we taught our recruiters about the specialty. So emergency medicine, and I did hospitalist staffing. So we had to learn what the ER doctor did. We had to learn what the hospitalist did and kind of how it all tied together, right? So we gave you, it was not long. It was 15, 20 minutes, right? And then you learn the rest of it on the road, but we had a vocabulary section. Like we were both teachers, the training person and myself. So it was a huge nerd moment for both of us. And then we talked about how we use the systems. We trained them on how our systems are expected to be used. And you get to the desk and it's, again, you get to the desk, your eyes are real big. You have no idea what's expected of you. Really, you hear it and you have it written down. You're like, I got to make a hundred calls. I got to do this. I got to document it in the system. But if you kind of get some practice and then you kind of understand the framework, you're at least, you know, you're picking up the phone and you're like, okay, I kind of understand what this person's saying, <laughs> Right. And we would go through the same process and we had a lot of successful people because we were invested in the process. And I think that is really what you're, what you're saying is like invest in the process. So we're going to make training videos for everybody and we're going to have a, we're going to go outside of IT. We're just going to build the framework for everyone. All right, cool. So kind of moving on, how do you kind of segue into technology? I'm sure you talked to lots of staffing firms, any technologies that you're seeing that people are having a lot of success with, success with, I can't speak right now when you are having these conversations or you're seeing your recruiters for the first time and you're talking to them? Yeah, you know, it, we don't often go too much into those details, but the things that I keep, that I do hear more often, I am based out of Boulder. We got a text us office three blocks away. Text us is really doing, you know, doing really great. I think the move to mobile, especially as the younger demographics come into the workplace, it makes so much sense and, and their return on value is, is pretty astounding. I also am really impressed with the platform Workin, W-O-R-K-N, headed up by Erica Heisen, the whole idea of having a, a platform-based labor redistribution ability and what used to take some recruiters, you know, two days to fill 40 positions at Macy's over Christmas is now done in minutes. And the hiring manager and the candidate can, can do it by themselves. Amazing. The recruiter just make sure everything's okay. Absolutely amazing. It's the move to customer success for staffing in some cases. That's it. I think that that's really astounding. I will say on the flip side, just being in recruiting and training, and especially we, we have a course on diversity and inclusion in the tech recruiter certification program. I'm a little wary of almost any resume automation tool or any of that. Anytime anyone says AI fill in the blank recruiting, my first question is like, what are you doing to actively combat the bias in your data? Oh, and if you don't have an answer yeah. for that, then your tool is dangerous and you should go back to the lab fix it and then come back into the world because I mean, that's a great, so it like blew my mind at the moment. Like, you know, the unconscious bias and, and 
the AI tool is going to do it anyway because of IT staffing in particular, right? A hundred percent. There's going to be a huge unconscious bias in there. Oh, big time. Big shout out to Art Pappas, by the way. When I worked at Bullhorn, he had a whole training on unconscious bias. Like he was super aware of it. And I know he's dealing with Corona right now, but he is, as a tech leader and as a CEO of a company, he is highly aware of that. And I thought that was really cool to see a large company like that really investing in that. So shout out to Art. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because like in any other specialty or any other kind of staffing, I guess maybe, maybe, maybe there's other ones that that applies to, right? You know, kind of diving deeper into this is like travel nursing, it's and, and this is not to say that it's right, but it could be the other way around, right? You know, as we're learning with Corona, and you know, women are predominantly nurses. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but it's great that, you know, that caregivers are the right, you know, like whatever. I, I don't want to go too crazy. But, you know, I'm a feminist. I think women are way better at exhibiting empathy and love. So I'll just leave that where it is and we'll move on. But I think that could be something in travel nursing where it could be the reverse because if you're training an AI bot to look at who's the best, they might unconsciously bias that way. So it's a really interesting thing to think about for AI tools. And you're right. Like we have to be, we have to train the AI to be better because that is something that it's definitely guilty of it a lot. Well, and that's the thing too, is like also recognizing that candidates inherently there's differences even in, in male and female candidates and how they write their resumes and the action verbs and, and the words that they use. And, you know, those screeners and those bots, if, if they're screened on what's worked before, well, 78% of staff, people in startups are 29-year-old white males. It's like, you're just going to keep, pattern matching is dangerous in a, you know, sort of complex environment. So the idea of having your staff trained up to be able to manage the tool better. And then as a recruiter, if I'm the one that's able to say, all these tools are cool, but until I'm able to actually engage with the candidates that you're suggesting for me, it's not even useful either, right? So it's like, it's a combination of having tools that help you, but also making sure that your your staff is empowered to be able to leverage the tools effectively. Yeah, I think, and there's a lot there to unpack. I think it's definitely a great, great conversation. I'm glad we brought it up because I think that could be that could be a whole 30-minute, hour-long conversation of just, I mean, you think, right? And I was thinking about working, too. like Because working, you can get a recommendation of people to go there. It doesn't really do it AI-based. It does it based on you know, placements. But it is kind of like, I think there's some AI built in, right? So it's interesting, you know, like, who's going to get this job? Is it going to go to whoever the AI bubbles up? And is that going to be mostly men? Right. So it's interesting. Definitely something to think about. Yeah, I love it. I'm super jazzed to go, to go think about that for a little bit now. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but it's really an important one, especially in the tech recruiting space. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I was just thinking, I, I was taking the LinkedIn diversity and inclusion training because it's free. Obviously, we're getting a lot of like free learning tools right now. I did the job, right? I did that with our organization. And and to be completely honest with you, I worked at Herefish. We were f- when I started, we were just like five guys, right? And there's only five people, so it wasn't huge. And I I'm happy to say that the first person that I brought in was a badass female support person, IT person, maxed out APIs that on her CRM, you know, did all this front end work, understood the website. She was incredible. I and also hated negotiating with her. So you know who you are. I'm not going to say your name, but she worked for Herefish. I brought her in and then we brought another, like, it's so funny. I got two girls, I got two people hired. They're both women at Herefish last year. So both really badass, both really technically savvy. I didn't do it because I thought Herefish had a problem that we knew we did. We, we knew we had one, but we were so small, right? And we weren't looking to grow rapidly, but just so happened that the best people that came available were female. So I thought that was really interesting. And then I did the kind of like the breakdown of employee stream and we don't have to go into it, but we know too. So 
Exactly what you said, you know, 29-year-old white male, so. I mean, that's just the data. It's, it's, it's impersonal. You just look at the data, and that is the majority of who is in, in tech. And that's why you see all the perks and the benefits to, you know, angling toward 29-year-old guys, beer and ping pong. It's like, cool, I'm an adult who has kids. Like, where are my benefits? Where's my paternity leave? Like, it's a larger thing that organizations... Well, even male-based, yeah, you're right. Because, like, if you're gearing towards a 20-year-old male, like... Me as a 30, almost 40-year-old male, like, I don't want to drink beer in the office. I do want to play ping pong, but I want to be working while I do it. Well, and then you have other things to do. And Startup Land is all designed to make you not go home and just keep working. And anyone that's been in a startup, myself included, you do it a few times and you're like, yep, that is not for me anymore for a reason. You know, like, it all goes together, really. You got to have your why. I think you have to have your why if you're going to be at a startup and it has to be aligned with what you're going to get, you know, like... I was the only salesperson last year, so I worked a lot, and I loved it, and I got a lot out of it at the end. I, I think if you're clear on your why and you have the right why, it's okay, you know, even as myself as 36, 37, but I agree. I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I think it's definitely interesting, and this is such a cool conversation because these are the things that have to come up when you're hiring and, and utilizing technology and, and then training people, right? So, Well, and especially like on the recruiting side, because if as a recruiter, my job, I'm the ambassador of the company, and it is... I'm the face of my org when I go to networking events, when I'm out there online, and I want to be able to speak to and stand behind my organization. And so as an organization, as a recruiter, I also need to understand what levers there are that can bring me more talent. And in tech recruiting, we need to recognize present lockdown excluded. There are more jobs in technology than there are people qualified. There are literally not enough people for the open roles. And so in tech, and especially as a recruiter, I need to be able to figure out how I build a bigger tent, how I draw more types of candidates in, how I can push on my hiring team to really question some of their just sort of knee-jerk requirements. Do we really need a CS degree? Do you really need to have a bachelor's degree? Why can't boot camp grads work out? What, you know, just understanding the larger ecosystem in which tech operates so that I, as a recruiter, can be more successful by driving a broader approach to who we're screening, how we're screening, how we're evaluating, things like that, and recognizing that, as we mentioned earlier, unconscious bias is everywhere. And so the more we can unpack that, the more actually successful you'll be in tech recruiting by building a bigger tent and developing benefits that attract a lot of different types of people and that we're also being fair in how we assess and bring them in because assessing a certain demographic the same way and then trying to apply that to other demographics is inherently unfair. It's just a, it's a different type of person. And so we need to as recruiters drive that initiative and drive those conversations in our organizations. Couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, I think you hit on a couple of things there too. Another one is like, we don't have enough people to fill these roles, right? It's just something that came up for me in the last week was, now would be a great time to talk to 17, 18 college-age kids about how to go down a path. And whether that path is coding and filling IT jobs or like trying to educate them on how to think about what jobs are going to be relevant, obviously without killing the American dream, you know, making sure that people know like, Hey, whatever you want to do, like if you want to go be an entrepreneur, like we need those two, we really need those. If you want to go in IT, we need those. If you want to be a plumber, electrician, a carpenter, whatever, like those are really powerful skills. And that's what comes up when you talk about reskilling, upskilling, right? Like not just coding. There is a tremendous opportunity for every human being alive 
to reskill towards coding in some way, shape, or form, or success on a networking level, right? Because everything's going to the cloud as we just we we are right now, right? So I couldn't agree more. And I was thinking about ways to deliver a message or quick bites to that population, right? Because those are that's the quick bite population, right? Like Quibi just came out and if you're not getting to them quick and with the right influencer or right celebrity, they're not going to listen to you. But like, I was having this conversation with someone on how to market that or who to use or how to sell that idea of like, let's re-educate the population to, again, hopefully focus on their dreams, but also just to understand what, maybe they didn't know they liked coding and they do, or maybe they didn't, you know, they want to work with their hands, right? So like, there's just so much, we just need to get the workforce mobilized in a powerful way and moving forward. Right. And not trying to go back to so kind of like recircle like manufacturing jobs or like skilled technicians for manufacturing roles of the future. Right. Like you may not need that many people on an assembly line, but you're still going to need people to make sure that the AI bot or the, the automation robot doesn't screw up and they have to know how to use that. So that's a skilled job. Yeah. Really, really fun conversation. And I appreciate it. Well, and side note real quick on in terms of that education element, we are actually, as part of our give back for 2020, we're actually creating a, a mini series using that, you know, the journey map framework storytelling process to create a series of little snippet videos around, you know, what is it a UX designer does? What does a product manager do? What does a front end engineer do? And telling that story using that journey map to share with kids in high school to, to say, you know, tech is a lot of things. You don't need to be the typical developer, whatever that means in your mind. There's also UX processes, there's visual design, there's other roles within tech. And if you can get into tech, you can work anywhere from anywhere. And especially this mobile younger generation, they just need to know what their options are. That's one of the the big initiatives for us on the side to create little videos to, to let high schoolers know that they can go into lots of different ways within tech that doesn't require staring at a command line. Well, it sounds like we have more synergies that you and I need to talk about offline here. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's very exciting because I was literally like dreaming this thing up and how to deliver it and quick, quick takes and understanding it all is like super important because like I want to be a fireman. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be the president. I just think like they say that and then they don't have any guidance on the background of like, okay, go for that as hard as you can, like live that dream, but then like keep living it. And if you want to do something else, like here's what's really powerful for you. Here's what's going to make you more of a, you know, make your lifestyle better or give you a better life moving forward as part of the workforce. So I don't know, trying to balance, it's a balancing act, right? Of like not crushing dreams and making sure people are failing as much as possible to get to that dream and driving towards it. But there's also the reality of the situation. So I don't know. That's that's my two cents on it. All right, Allison, this has been a great conversation. Total pleasure. This is awesome. How do people find you? How do they sign up to become better educated tech recruiters? Oh man, reach out. I want to hear from all of you. You can find us at recruitinginnovation.com. That's our main website where you can learn about our tech recruiter certification program. We also have a very robust resources page with all kinds of blog posts. We also have YouTube. You can find Recruiting Innovation on YouTube with some of our video snippets and classes. You can find me at LinkedIn, Allison Daly, D-A-L-E-Y, and that's Allison with one L. You can also find me shoot me an email, Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, at recruitinginnovation.com. Awesome. Allison, thank you so much. This has been great. Pleasure. Thank you, Robert. After a brief word from our episode sponsor, we're going to have our next segment of Ask Lauren. Stay tuned. Great Recruiters is a real-time experience and reputation management platform built for staffing and recruiters. 
We make it simple to capture, act on, measure, and promote real-time feedback for those you serve. Evaluate recruiter performance, prove the quality of your service, differentiate your brand, attract more talent, and improve your overall reputation with great recruiters. Outshine, outdeliver, outperform. To learn more, visit greatrecruiters.com. Hey, Lauren, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Is this going to be the best Ask Lauren yet? Well, the third time's a charm, right? All right. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so, little update. I'm on like day... Uh, today will be day 36 or 37 in a row of working out on Peloton. So, either do, I usually do a ride and an app class every day. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. Where are you at? What's your... Why don't yeah. I? I had to kind of dial it back. So, I can be really intense, as you well know. <laughs> And so I was like, two classes a day, you know, I, I got a little intense. So I've had to kind of dial it back mostly because I've had, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've had both my hips done. I and not. yes, so I am the mechanical lady and, you know, I had to dial it back just a little bit. So I'm doing a little bit more yoga complemented with the amazing spin classes that they have. And then a meditation, if you need to sleep. I've done sleep one, yeah. Amazing. Oh, nice. I, I think I did like the breathing one. I'm a big fan of, of breathing exercises. Uh, so I dialed back last week because my, like I'm super quad dominant. I have like wrestler quad from being in a squat position for 20 years of my life. So my quads are super on fire, like week four of being in a row and I had to dial it way back. So I did a lot of 10 minute like recovery rides last week or beginning rides. But yeah, I've been on it. And as a former wrestler, I will likely have to have my hips replaced. So Hopefully, I'm healing them. I do a lot of preventive maintenance stuff now. I basically spent my first 20 years jacking my body up, and now I've been, I'm actually a yoga teacher, and I, I do a lot of like mobility work, et cetera, so that I don't have to walk around with a hip or whatever it is. So, kudos to you for recognizing where your body is. And that actually segues very nicely into, I think, what you want to talk about. So, what's the question? What's, what's going on? Yeah. So the questions that I'm getting are really great because I feel like we're all in this together, you know, obviously, but this COVID time, if you will, or this work from home time, I think is really challenging old ideals. And so the conversations or questions that I'm getting is, you know, how do we not make our current technology, you know, all this beautiful new technology do what we were doing before? How do we do it differently? How do we get better, faster, stronger? All of this technology here is not so that we can fit it into our old box, but so that we can challenge our ideals, challenge the way that we were thinking, start looking at really systemic issues and not putting sort of technological band-aids on it, which is what I think that that's where a lot of waste happens. And so I am on a mission to help agencies look and solve for problems from a systemic issue. You have, you have background checks is a, is, a, is a great one, right? Many people don't know that we can't assign somebody with a violent felony. A lot of that has to do with insurance and not being able to underwrite them. So how do we, how do we solve the crux of the issue or how do we better align candidates to jobs where they can work. And so I'm working with technologies that are really excited about solving for sort of the crux of the issues. Job postings, right? I mean, it used to be that you had to post a job for 30 days. And you know what, you get more than 60% of your candidates in the first two weeks that your job posting is out there. So 
why post a job for 30 days? And now you've, you've got CPA or cost per application that allows for this flexibility. So the questions that I'm getting now are really around challenging old ideals, old workflows. Look, the point of buying a new ATS or investing in technology is to not make it look like your old tool and not have it function like your old workflow. It's to have something new and build your world around new functionality. And again, systemic issues, solving for those, creating better process around those. So if you are implementing new technology, I challenge you to not just put an implementation plan together, you know, create an adoption plan and make it look like a more efficient process that was what you were doing before, but challenge the entire process. Look at the whole thing, peel back the onion and really challenge what are we solving for. Ask the ATS provider why they created it that way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Just as simple as that, you know, why is it set up this way? Is it because it's from a technical perspective, the most functional? Okay, great. Let's work our workflow around that. I so often am seeing implementations where we're creating old workflow habits around something that should be new, more advanced and more functional. So those are the questions that I'm getting today is, and I want every agency to really look at the crux of the issue, and then apply technology as a solution for a better way. Got it. I like it. So guys, quick, too long, didn't read. Stop trying to plug your old stuff in the new tech because you're spending money on something new that's supposed to work more efficiently. Make sure you do a deeper dive, essentially, right? You may not be wrong. It may not work any better, but you got to dive deeper and you got to ask more questions because if you're going to spend money, it kind of goes back to the measure twice, cut once conversation, right? By the way, did you notice that you and Matt said the same thing in the episode at the same time, basically? That's so amazing. Two weeks ago. That's a, it yes, was pretty great. Was awesome. But anyway, Lauren, thank you so much. I think that is a great point to end on. Really excited. This is probably one of the longer asked Lauren's, but I think it was super valid. And I would love to get more people to work because guess what? America gets stronger by the economics of every human being in the US getting stronger, right? We're not going to get better until all of our economics for everyone is better. Yep. If we could reduce time to fill across the board. That we, could happen. <laughs> we, that could happen. And I know we can do it. And I know we can do it when we put the right workflows and the right technology and combination together. All right. I love it. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate you. 